Good morning, everyone. Sometimes I feel like Mr. Rogers. I don't know. <laughs> Good morning. Glad to have you here. Beautiful day, beautiful weekend. Uh, I just enjoy being in God's beauty. Uh, BC is one of the prettiest, of course, as you know, uh, provinces, but um, just a reminder is all the time of God's goodness to us. I'm going to pray, if you don't mind, if we begin the service. Uh, chapter 13 of Romans is a tough one, and so I need God's help to get through uh, what he's wanting us to hear today. Uh, let's pray. Father God, this is your day you set aside for us to come before you as your people. We bring you our offerings, we bring you our praise, we bring you our lives for your service, and we, we wait to hear what it is you'd have to say to us through your word. So I pray today that this message will be uh, understood clearly, that um, we would have open hearts and minds to what your spirit would have us to do, uh, knowing what you're saying in this chapter, and that uh, from this we would have a, a new perspective on exactly our role in our country, in our world, in our city, uh, with you leading and guiding us. I pray for each person here, Father, that you would guide them into your presence, that you would assure them of your presence today, that you would comfort them that are struggling, that you would give wisdom to those making decisions, to those that are having homes that are uh, in disarray or relationships that seem to be broken. I pray for healing. Pray for your spirit to intervene, to bring reconciliation and guidance. For kids that are trying to figure out um, how to submit to authority in the home, how to get along with families and they're struggling, I pray also for your peace that would govern their hearts and minds and that families we would be strong, marriages would be strong, relationships would be strong with you in the middle guiding us. Thank you for this day and another chance to just take a breather the pause, to know that you are in control despite the mayhem that's going around the world in so many different places. We are privileged to be in this country with the freedoms that we do have and the responsibilities that come with that. Thank you for this church and how you intend to use it in a significant way in the days ahead to reach our communities, our neighborhoods, our city with the gospel message of hope and peace and eternal life. Thank you for this day. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So in 1979, Rose Vivas came in 11th place in the New York City Marathon, and it qualified her for the next year, the 84th Boston Marathon. She shocked everybody that next year because she won in a stunning time of two hours and 32 minutes the Boston Marathon, making her the, fast, the third fastest woman of all time for any marathon. And uh, she, she came out of nowhere. She wasn't really in, in, in the, uh, the circuit of marathons. And so people started to wonder, how did she get cut like half an hour off of the, the lead time? And then they were looking at video footage and found out that she wasn't in any of the videos. Uh, they started, why wasn't she panting? Why wasn't she drenched in sweat? Why didn't she fall and stumble and say, you know, finally made it at the end of the finish line. And uh, they came to realize that she had started the race, cut out, got on the subway, <laughs> uh, ended up near the end, and then she burst out of the crowd about a half a mile 
uh, before the finish line, way ahead of all the other women uh, runners, and, and, and won the race. And uh, so she was unceremoniously stripped of her, of her win. And then it came to find out that she'd actually faked her New York City Marathon time as well to qualify for the, the Boston Marathon. You know, we, we kind of like it when people play by the rules, you know, because then it's fair for everyone. How do you like it when someone cuts in front of you in line? You're like, I, I've been here for half an hour. Like, and you just cut in front. Who do they think they are? Or how about on the Trans-Canada when I'm going home to, to Abbotsford and it's bumper to bumper and some cars go uh, take the exit and they go around 30 cars and they take the entrance back on ahead of like, how do you feel? <laughs> My wife, it drives her nuts. She's, she's going around. He's going around. I know he's going to run. He's going to come back on. I know he's coming back on. And, oh, I can't believe it. We should do that too, she said. No. <laughs> fair is fair. Everyone should be doing that. Then, yeah, everyone do that, and I'll go on the left lane. We want people to follow the rules. We want people to um, be fair. We want everyone to have the same opportunities. We don't like people that cheat or that take a shortcut or they get some kind of unfair advantage from everyone else. You know, that's how society kind of rules, right? We, everyone plays by the same playbook, or else it's not fair, or there's some kind of... You just feel like you're, you're not so special if everyone else is special and you're not. And so in a, in, a, in a kind of government we have, we all decide as a group that we're going to follow what the rules are so that, you know, it's part of life, right? You get on an airplane... The stewardess tells you, the, the flight attendant tells you to put your seat in an upright position and put the tray tables. Well, you, you do that. You're, you're on a soccer team, and uh, your coach says, there's the play I want us to run. You do that because he's your authority. Your basketball uh, coach, you know, here's the play we're going to run, second half. And you do it because they say so. Your piano teacher, practice, practice, practice. You know, so you got to practice. The, the ruler on your hand, no, I never got that. I, I'm sure I didn't. But there's also, I mean, the, the sign that you pass in the road saying, slow down, you've got to follow that rule. There's lots of things that help our society run like it's supposed to. And we're fortunate that we have a democracy where we can actually choose the people that are governing in place. They represent us. And if we don't like how they do it, if we feel that they're perhaps incompetent or immoral or lack the courage to do the right thing, then we vote them out and try somebody else. You know, it's kind of how it goes. And growing up, I just assumed that this is how the world runs. Well, I've been in a lot of countries, and I can tell you that that's not how the world's run in the majority of cases. We don't, people don't get to choose who's ruling over them. People don't get to vote people out. They don't get to vote at all. Or if they do vote, there's one person on the candidate list going, I guess I'm voting for them. Uh, and, and there's oftentimes there's uh, challenges just to get, just to get by. So I, I love, I've always loved coming home to Canada when I've been overseas for a week or two at a time, different countries where I don't feel safe, where I know I can't just call in a policeman to help me because I don't have enough money to bribe them for, for justice. Uh, that the courts would always go in favor of the rich and the wealthy and the influential and the, the poor uh, are just left out. Some countries we've seen even recently where democracy, it started with democracy, it went to uh, mayhem, there's corruption, there's... Lots of things going on, the, 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 the government fails, and all of a sudden the man with the biggest guns gets to be in charge. And you're, the people are helpless, they, there's no recourse. You don't have fairness or justice. The rules don't apply anymore. 
The top uh, seven healthiest democracies in the world as of 2020 were Norway, Iceland, Sweden, New Zealand, Canada comes in fifth, Finland, and Denmark. And uh, if you go quite a bit farther down the list, at number 25 would be the United States, and they've called it now a flawed democracy. I used to think that democracies were stable, and and you can count on it, and you you can feel safe in your own country. But now I'm realizing that that democracies are fragile. And uh, it's... It can be difficult living in a country where you don't know what to expect next. So the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome, Rome had started off as a, a monarchy. Do you remember the first king of Rome, anyone? Two brothers, Romulus and Remus. Romulus was the, uh, the king. I know you back to Roman history. I took that in first year university, I think. Well, there are seven kings, and then, uh, and then they decided we're going to try a democracy, a representative democracy in Rome. So for a number of years, they tried a representative uh, democracy, um, and then big, powerful men like Julius Caesar decided that they wanted to be a one-person rule, and they became an empire ruled by an emperor. The first emperor was Julius Caesar's nephew, Augustus. And by 8116, they had ruled and swallowed up all of the surrounding countries and empires all around the Mediterranean and all throughout Europe. So it was no longer a democracy. You didn't really have a say. It was ruled by military people who suppressed all of the people and uh, ruled with an iron fist. And so this is who Paul is writing to, people being, um, living under the iron fist, the control of Rome. No one could withstand their armies. They had strategies and they had um, a history of subjugating anyone that came up against them. So the people in Rome that Paul is writing to didn't have a choice. Uh, they didn't have a vote. They, they didn't have a say. Nobody cared for their opinion. And uh, in the first century, uh, the Roman governing authorities were not Christian. Uh, they were pagan. They had a whole pantheon of gods. In fact, you had to worship Caesar, bow down to Caesar. The problem was in Judea, they weren't really up for that because they were an obstinate and stubborn people in Judea. And they said, we have only one king and it's not Caesar. We won't bow down to anybody except the Messiah, to the Lord, God. And so they didn't get along with Rome so very well. Rome did give some freedoms. They allowed the Sanhedrin to govern the local people of certain degrees. As you remember, the Sanhedrin could basically do civil law, but they could not do uh, the death penalty. That's because uh, Rome wanted to reserve some things for themselves. And so when, when we have Easter, Jesus wasn't crucified by the Sanhedrin or the Jewish people. It was the Roman soldiers that had him on the cross because that was their job. The, that was their right and role to do that. And as you read the story of Christ's crucifixion, they were fairly merciless they didn't care about the person at all. They didn't treat them with respect. In fact, they shamed them and took away every dignity that they had. These were the people to whom Paul is writing. So take that into context when you read through chapter 13. I'm going to read all 14 verses just to give us a picture of, of what we were talking about today. And by the way, I didn't pick this chapter to speak. It's next. It came after chapter 12. So <laughs> next week we'll be looking at chapter 14. <laughs> 
So no particular political agenda here. I just want you to understand that the Bible is going to speak to our current actual situations that we're facing even in our own country. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Well, do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you would be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what's wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too. For these, the same reason, government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Owe nothing to anyone, except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal or covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is uh, all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will be here soon. So remove your dark deeds of dirty, like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day and we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. I think that's a New Living Translation, by the way. So in this chapter, there's three main sections. And I'm going to focus uh, primarily on the first section. Verses 1 to 7 tells us to submit to God-instituted authorities in our country. The second section, verses 8 to 10, directs people not to be distracted, uh, but to stay focused on the main task of loving others. And the third section, verse 11 to 14, reminds us that the time is short. And don't let our guard down. Don't be involved in unprofitable and spiritually dangerous activities. Stay focused on our purpose as believers, to share the gospel. So if, you, if the first section, verses 1 to 7, Paul uses the word authorities eight times in reference to those who have authority over us and those who are in place to govern us. And so he's, <laughs> he's talking to people. And keep in mind... Uh, we'll look at this a little bit later, but there were slaves in Rome. In fact, they say a, a huge percentage of people were, were people that were brought from other nations that were forced into slavery, subjugated. They're not happy people, but that's their society. Uh, and, and, and a lot of the people that, that are in Rome are from other countries that have uh, moved from other places. And so they're all kind of in a bit of a melting pot. Society is humming along, but they're still unrest. Paul says in these verses, even though there is Caesar-worshipping pagans who had pantheon of gods ruling over them, he says this, you know, submit to the authorities. 
Submit to the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, he says. Now, there's a lot of questions in this particular chapter, and there's a lot of discussion about what is actually being said. So that's why I want to focus more on this. Philippians 3.20, the Amplified Version says, We are different because of our citizenship being in heaven. And from there, we eagerly await the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that there, there are, yeah, you, you live here and now, you live in this country, you live under this government, but we have a higher government that we are under, and that's the kingdom of God. We have a higher authority that we answer to. We are here. Don't get so involved in what's going on here that you forget about what's going on in the eternal kingdom. Paul says, pay your taxes to the government as they require them, uh, even if they're corrupt. He didn't say only if they're honest. Uh, hard to find one of them governments these days. Even if they're not doing the right things, it says, do your duty as a citizen. Uh, Mark 12, Jesus said the same thing. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Why? Because we're just passing through this world. We're on our way to an eternal kingdom. Get along here while you're here. We, we've got a, a much better kingdom we're going to be a part of. Remember Jesus telling us if a soldier compels us to carry his backpack for a mile, which they were legally allowed to do. Lots of soldiers around, and you know, their packs are kind of heavy. And they can say, hey, 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 come here, carry this. And you, you, by law, you had to carry it one mile, one Roman mile. Paul says, carry it two. Show them that we're different. Show them that even if they compel you to do something that you find distasteful, supporting the enemy... Carry it two miles. Show them that you, they're not getting to you. You've got a higher authority governing over you. So the recipients of this letter did not have a choice who ruled, ruled over them. And their governments were not accountable to the people. And what Paul is saying is a principle here. It is that uh, we need to respect the office and the responsibilities of the rulers, even if we don't necessarily respect the person in the office. You don't have to like the guy that's in the office, but you have to respect the position and the authority of this person in our government. We are called to a higher purpose. A lot of times what the conflict is, is that we, we feel we have a right. We have lots of rights. I want to protect my rights. But we don't often look at what the duties are or the responsibilities of a citizen. My, as a citizen, my responsibility is to follow the civil laws. I need to follow the the speed limits, I need to do the things that will show that I respect my government, and if I don't like my government, I can actually vote them out. I can do different things. Uh, create another kind of a, uh, a, an authority uh, in, a, in a civil way. But sometimes the, we want our rights more than we want to follow our duties or our responsibilities. And, I, and I'll work through that a little bit here. So... It's not to say that Christians are doormats or placidly following along when obvious changes need to be made. The British MP William Wilberforce uh, made it his life mission to help abolish slavery in England. He did it as an MP in Parliament. Uh, think about uh, Tommy Douglas in Saskatchewan, premier, champion universal health care, which later swept the country. He saw there was a problem. And he addressed the problem. He changed Canada forever by standing up for what he felt is right. There are ways to help influence and change government in a way that's a positive way. Remember the last verse of chapter 12. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So in Rome, Christians actually did overcome an evil empire. Can you imagine? The Roman Empire was forever changed by Christianity. In 313 AD, the Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which accepted Christianity as a valid religion, and 10 years later became the official religion of Rome. We have ways of influencing the government. We have ways of influencing the authorities, but it needs to be done, Paul says, in a way that is supportive, encouraging, and we are participating. We change things from the inside out. That being said, um, there's a, a disturbing news article in the Global News that I read recently. It took a survey uh, about Canadians' perception of religion in Canada. And uh, it's a very bothersome article because it says that many Canadians now believe Catholicism, evangelical Christianity, and Islam are more damaging to society than beneficial. In other words, religion is harmful to society, according to this survey. And the people across the country continue to turn their backs on religion. And, but it went even more disturbingly. It says that evangelical Christianity, which encompasses dozens of denominations like Baptist and Pentecostal, Alliance, Mennonite, and it's characterized by piety or trying to you know, live a holy life, it says it was the only religion seen as more damaging than beneficial by every other self-identified religious group. In other words, all the other religions think that evangelical Christianity is more harmful to society than helpful. That bothers me. Why don't people like us? Could it be that there are more important things to us than loving our neighbor as ourselves? Could it be that we are not doing unto others that we would have done unto us? If the survey's accurate, then it's no wonder when COVID came that governments decided that churches were non-essential to society. Maybe they didn't see the benefit of keeping churches open because we've kept our head down too low. We're not engaged in change from the inside out. We're too involved in protests from the outside in, perhaps. To call churches non-essential and to shut down worship together. You know, when churches used to be the hub of society, churches used to be the place everyone gathered for news and for, for help and for comfort. And when crisis happened, the church was there to help them through it. I think this last couple of years has been a wake-up call to churches to take a hard look at the impact we are having on the decision-making level in society. Our commission to love others ought to make the church the most essential organization in society, not a non-essential one. Churches do far more for our community than people ever realize. We feed the poor and the food insecure. We come to aid at the risk at-risk at kids living in unstable homes. We protect the abused. We care for the marginalized. We support the unemployed, we encourage the depressed and care for the sick and watch over the widows and take in orphans and comfort the grieving and support families and children and teenagers and senior citizens in our, our community. We are involved in every aspect of society. It's just that we're not being noticed. We're not making as big a difference as I think we could. When there's a crisis, the church springs into action. 
2008, there was a major earthquake in the Sichuan province of China. I think 50,000 people died in that earthquake. You know, the, the organization that stood up right away within 24 hours was the church. Pastors and churches from across the region said, how can we help? They worked through an organization called Action Love, a ministry of CMS partner, an Asian outreach under the banner of China, Christians Action Love. So Christians formed teams, and they actually did what no one else wanted to do. They were given the role of collecting the dead bodies and disinfecting them before a plague broke out. They did the dirty work because they wanted to demonstrate love to their fellow. And, and, and the whole attitude of the church towards the church in China in that region completely changed because they were willing to get in and be involved and to help. Paul says there's a right way and a wrong way to affect civil change. As Christ shows us love is more powerful than hate. If you get anything from this chapter, Paul is trying to encourage the church, the believers, to work primarily from the standpoint of love, from the inside out, caring for our leaders, praying for our leaders, volunteering and helping our leaders so they see that we are essential, we are committed, we are integral to our society. We care, we sacrifice, we want to help because Christ died for us. The least we can do is love our neighbors ourselves and do unto others as, they, as we want them to do to us. We serve a higher authority than municipal, provincial, and federal authorities. So, pastor, are you saying that we need to support immoral and uh, brutal regimes? And I say, no, I'm not saying that. I think about Romania. What happened at, when they had a brutal uh, authoritarian government, communist government, under Ceausescu and his wife, Elena. For 24 years, they brutalized their people. They cut off basic supply. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have running water. People were regressing back to collecting water with buckets, taking them home. Uh, people were randomly slaughtered, thrown in jail. Uh, this is the regime that Christians were living under until one day, a young pastor named Laszlo Tokes took a stand against the authorities and his loyal parishioners stood with him. They were brutally suppressed by the regime, but their stand against brutality and immorality, but their stand against brutality and immorality uh, fanned the flame of, of uh, the understanding the injustice that was perpetrated upon, upon the people. Within six days, Ceausescu and his wife uh, got exactly what they had been doling out to their people. Uh, they were sent through a, 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 like a mock trial, and they were executed on the spot. And it has become one of the best uh, democracies uh, in Europe at this point, even part of NATO and all that. But sometimes you have to take a stand. Sometimes you stand up against injustice. Sometimes there's enough is enough. And we serve a higher authority where, where God says, you know, we've got to make a difference. We've got to facilitate change. But can we do it from love? Can we do it in a way that changes from the inside out? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor and a theologian during the Second World War. He looked at these very same chapters. He read through chapter 13 over and over and over again, trying to decide, what do I do? I've got a, a maniac running the country. He's slaughtering uh, the Jewish people and many, many others. Uh, how can we do nothing? How can we just sit here and just let it happen? He, he was a pacifist. 
He wanted to be you know, kind and gentle, but firm. And he was uh, ostracized by the government. He was told you, you no longer can teach or preach. Yet somehow he had to be a light in the darkness. He had to decide which is worse, being involved in a plot to get rid of Hitler or allowing Hitler to continue unopposed. And he chose to be involved, to go against the government, to help Jews be free, to find safety outside of the country. And he paid a price for that. What Paul is dealing with in this chapter is this idea more of submitting to authority. And primarily, you know, we are, we are supposed to be people that are okay to submit to authority. The whole Bible is full of verses that talk about humility and uh, not seeking the best seats, not seeking the most attention, not seeking the, the most power. Jesus came to serve, to humble himself. He used to be God in heaven, and he came down born in a manger to live a life of servanthood, but also he was strong. He wasn't some wimp. There's no one stronger but more dedicated than what Jesus was. In the scriptures, it talks about believers in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Submit to the government and its officers. Be obedient and ready to do what is good. As I said, there was slavery at the time, and he says, okay, if you find yourself as a slave, it says, you who are slaves, submit to your masters with all respect. Do what, I, do what they tell you. Not if, even if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. Be different. Ephesians 4, as the church submits to Christ, wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So do you submit to an evil, evil government? Well, sometimes I'd say no. Sometimes there's a higher authority that says we need to make a difference. What about if, you know, slavery? Is, that, is it okay? Is it No, it's not okay. And we need to rectify that and get rid of that in society. What about, do you stay in a marriage if your husband's abusive and beating and verbally attacking you? No, like that, you don't submit under all things. There's a limit to submission. And it comes under the higher authority. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's times when the higher authority supersedes the local authority. And as a church, we take that very seriously. Submission means different things. And it only goes so far. But we're not supposed to be anti-authoritarian or anti-government. And it should be, not be our instinctive nature to resist or rebel against our governing authorities. Some people are just contrary. Like if you say go right, they're going to go left. If you say sit down, they're going to stand up. It's like, don't tell me what to do. I go, okay. But that's not a Christian attitude, right? That's not what Christ did. Christ had a right to come down off the cross. Christ had a right to have a fair trial. Christ had a right to be treated with respect and not to be slapped and spit upon and mocked as, as some <laughs> worthless person that they were trying to make. But he had a higher purpose. He had a, a higher purpose in mind. Had he come down off the cross, had he demand, demanded a fair trial, demanded to be treated with respect, everything would have been derailed. We wouldn't have salvation. So no, it's not Christian to blindly obey whatever directives come from governing authorities. Paul says he's put authorities in place to keep peace, to, to give rule and, and structure to society. Get along. Uh, help out. Pray for them. Get involved in what's happening and make a difference from the inside out. But we also need to make sober judgment in order to determine when governing authorities have gone astray. 
and are no longer providing uh, or promoting what is good. So as your church leaders, we, you know, throughout the whole COVID time, we debated, you know, is this a time to stand up or is it, are we, can we make it through here? Are the, is the church being targeted or is this just a societal thing? Can we, can we do church still effectively? Maybe inhibited to some degree, but can we still care for one another? Can we pray for one another? Can we help one another? Can we make a difference? And we decided we can. And uh, I can tell you, your leaders, your your pastors, your staff, your elders, didn't just blindly go along. There was regular debates on, is this too far? Is this too far? Do we need to take a stand? And we decided as a group that no, we can manage but it's not going to be permanent. There will be a time when enough is enough. So simply stated, we have to discern if and when obeying our governing authorities would require us to disobey the Lord Jesus. And in such situations, we have to obey the Lord Jesus rather than the governing authorities and be prepared to endure the consequences. Daniel did not obey the governing rules of the time, and he was thrown into a lion's den. He says, God is more... More important to worship than the king. And uh, it nearly cost him his life. God intervened and saved him. There are chances and opportunities when enough is enough. And the church takes a stand against injustice and, and evil. Pray for your leaders to be discerning in all of that. So the rest of the chapter reminds us over and over that whatever we do has to be done in love towards others. Can you protest in love? Can you facilitate change in love? Can you show them what Christ would have been like in this situation? We want to bring Jesus into the into this town city hall. We want to bring Jesus into the court system. We want to bring Jesus into our, our legal system, into our military system, into our police system, into our fire. Everything we want to bring Christ to make a difference. Chapter 13, verse 10 says, love does no wrong to others. Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. I can't imagine what people would have thought when they received this letter from Paul. Like, shouldn't we be subverting the government? Shouldn't we be plotting and going, no, get along. Work with love from the inside out. Change hearts. That's what will change governments. Would you pray with me? Father God, it's a tough chapter to, to work through and all the implications that are there. And often, Father, with the words themselves, uh, we can stumble over, but the principles are easier to apply. Father, help us to know how to submit to authority in a way that would please you. Our ultimate goal, Father, is not to please our governors, our premiers, our prime ministers. Our goal is to please you in any way possible. Thank you, God, for your spirit who gives us wisdom and guidance. For this chapter that challenges us to... Look at duties and responsibilities over rights because we have a higher purpose and a goal in mind. We are to make a difference. We are to be salt and light, Father. Show us what that looks like in our community. May we be making a difference so that the next time anything like this happens, they would say, no, we can't shut down the churches. They are essential to the welfare and the well-being of our, 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 our constituents. Father, let us find out a way to make a huge difference, to be salt and light, Uh, to those that need hope and direction in their life. I pray in Christ's name, amen.